Welcome to the Audit Bytes podcast with your host, Robert Berry, where we talk about touchy auditing topics in bite-sized chunks. Whether you're just starting out in auditing or you're a seasoned professional, you'll find something of value here. Tell all of our fellow auditors. You can find us live on LinkedIn, YouTube, and your favorite podcasting platforms. Tune in and join us for a thought-provoking and informative look at the world of auditing. Hey, hey, what's happening, people? Thank you for joining and welcome to episode number 33 of Audit Bites. Now, this is a special edition. This is a special edition. Don't get used to me on Thursdays. Today is Thursday, right? (laughs) Today, we're going to talk about standards. Listen, standards are important for every facet of our lives. It's what keeps us grounded and it's what keeps us moving in the right direction. And recently, the Institute of Internal Auditors announced the release of proposed changes to the standards that govern our profession. And I think it's worth a conversation because right now they're open for public comment. And right now is the time to say something if we have any comments. So here's where I'm going to start off today. I'm going to start off by saying Thank you to the people who worked very hard to get to get everything reviewed and to get everything set up and to update our standards. I think we should all say thank you to the people who worked hard over the last couple of years to make sure that we are current in our profession and that we know what we're doing. So that's the first thing that I want to say, because I do realize that when you open yourself up for public comment slash audit, right? It can be painful, especially if people say things that you don't like or things that you do want to hear, don't want to hear. So that's the first thing. Thank you to everyone who worked hard on updating our standards. Now, with that said, let's start talking about the standards. Structure for anything is important, right? If you remember the old standards, we had two different things. We had attribute standards and then we had performance standards. Well, there's a new structure in town. And you know what? I actually like it. I really like it. So let's dive right in. Sorry if I lose my voice. I just wrapped up a training session at the iHeart Audit Conference in San Antonio. And then I have another one to do this afternoon there. So I'm a little parched right now, but let's talk about structure. So the way that they've structured the thing from the beginning is we have now five domains, 15 principles, and a glossary. And let me say, I really like the five domains because they make sense to me. So the five domains, you see them there in this nice little colorful circle. Purpose, ethics and professionalism, governing, managing, and performing. And we're going to dive into some of these, but they actually make sense to me. And I see that I am not the only one that likes them. Kimberly is here and Kimberly Franklin says, I like it too. Yeah, I like it too. Leslie is here. Always good to see you, Leslie. Good afternoon. It's great to see you. It's great to see you. All right. So now the structure, five domains, 15 principles, and a 
glossary. Now, there's some other things that you're going to see that are a little bit different as well. You're going to see a delineation between things we should do and things we must do. Now, this was an element in the old standards, but they're even more prominent here. And I think this is important because now we get to know what the true expectation is of us in our jobs. Now, the other thing that you're going to notice is there's a special section for public sector auditors. There's a special section for public sector auditors. I'm not really sure why the distinction is made just for them. I have some speculation, but we'll get to that a little bit later. All right. So the third thing. No, I'm sorry. Yeah. So you see a section for public sector auditors. So let's get into it. Let's just get into it with the first thing that I would actually like to see a little bit different. Now, a lot of what we're going to say here are going to be some critiques, but then I'm going to point out some things that I like. And then I'm going to point out some things we as auditors need to think about because we need to do some things different. The first thing that I would like to see from a structural standpoint is just a table of contents, please. Ah, there, I said it. It was driving me so crazy. And myself and another person that I respect and admire in our field, we were talking about it. And so we just did our own table of contents. And uh, <laughs> as you can see, the five domains, along with the 15 principles as they relate to the different domains. But like I said, the first thing they do is actually provide a glossary of terms. Now, I think a glossary of terms is needed, but there's some things in there that strike me as being quite interesting. So there's a table of contents for those of you who want to understand logically how everything is laid out. Take a screenshot, send it to all your friends. All right. So let's talk about that glossary of terms. Let's talk about that glossary of terms. Oh, man. Oh, thank you, Ali. He says he always enjoys my podcast. Thank you very much. Elizabeth, hey, good to see you, my friend. Good to see you. Bonita, audit bites, just what you needed. Really? By the way, Bonita, I might be a little late for book club today. I'm kind of doing a, a show right, right now, so I'm, <laughs> I might be late for book club. Um, so glossary of terms. Here's some things that struck me as a little bit interesting in the glossary of terms. Uh, and I'm just going to dive right in. So the first term that we're defining is an activity under review. So now for my feedback and my constructive criticism, here's what I'll say. Well, first, let's define what it says in the actual glossary of terms. Um, an activity under review is the subject of an internal audit engagement. Examples include an area, entity, operation, function, process, or system. So is this the activity that we're auditing right now or the one that we've already wrapped up an audit on or what is this referring to? Okay, in all seriousness, let me tell you why I dislike this term being defined like this and, and my comments on it. We are a global organization with people in many countries. And I think if we start to define certain terms very specific like this, we might lose some of our uh, uh, fellow auditors in other countries. The other thing is, I don't want to call it an activity under review. I like to say, here's the area we audited, or here's the area we reviewed, or here's the audit project we're working on. I think if we define this one so tightly, we lose the latitude to call projects whatever it is we want to call them. So that's my first 
constructive criticism for some of the terms in the glossary. Now, I know what you're thinking. This one is probably a little bit eh, petty. Maybe we could talk about some things that are more serious. Don't worry. We'll get there. Um, but I don't like this term. Here's the activity under review. Not everyone wants to say that. And I think if we put it in a glossary, then in some auditors' minds, it's going to be an expectation that we adopt it globally. So I think we should add some caveats to say that we can use this term in other ways or that this one is not necessarily one that is mandatory. Um, the next term that I'm taking issue with is condition. I'm curious as to why we're defining this, because some people may want to call it the current state. Some people may want to just say this is how we started. This is the current condition. This is the current state. So let's talk about this. Condition is being defined as the existing state of the activity under review. Basically, it's what we found before we audited. This is the current state that it was in. I don't necessarily want to say this is the condition. Heck, I don't use that term. Anybody else use that term? Here's our current condition. But again, I think also when we define it up front, audit departments that don't use this terminology will think that they should be forced to use this terminology. Now, I think it's probably a reference to the five C's that they use for reporting the condition, criterion, whatever. I don't use those either, but yet my audit reports are very good they're clear and concise and my management team likes it. So I think we have to guard against forcing certain terminology down our throats. There's certain terminology that we definitely want to have, but I think we have to be careful with forcing specific terminology. Yep. And see, Kimberly's right here. Kimberly says, we just say observation. Right. So when we start to force terminology, we, we start to force things that aren't really uh, major or major concerns in our industry. We do what I like to call major in the minors. So we make something a major issue that's only a minor issue. Um, yeah. So now Thomas is saying to me, condition has a negative connotation. Ding, ding. There you go. I'll get there with some of the other definitions and things where I'm, I'm really addressing they sound negative and we don't want to sound that way with our audit clients. So we'll get to some of those as well. Dahlia is here. Thank you for joining us. Good to see you here. So that's why I'm opening up this forum, because it's up to us to give our professional association feedback on what we collectively think about the standards. And I think that's the good part about it. They worked very hard for years to help improve our standards, and then they put it out for public consumption. Talk about transparency. What better thing could you do? which is why I go back to what I said earlier. I want to thank everyone who actually worked on the committee to make sure that this got done. So now, the other term that we have here is conflict of interest. Now, we all know what conflicts of interest are for us in our profession, but let me explain to you where I take issue with it. The definition here says a situation, activity, or relationship that may influence or appear to influence the internal auditor to make professional judgments or take actions that are in the best interest of the organization. So there are a couple of things here. One, I think that this should probably say the auditor or the entire audit department, because right now we're focusing on the audit, but the entire audit department could be doing something that looks like it gives a conflict of interest. Now, by default, it may be talking about the entire audit department, 
But I think when we come to definitions, we need to be a little specific in certain things that we are specific with. But here's where I really take issue with it. It says that we won't do anything uh, that profit, sorry, that appear to influence the professional judgments or take actions that are not in the best interest of the organization. Okay, that's the part where I take issue with because we shouldn't necessarily be doing things that are in the best interest of the organization. We should be doing things that are in the best interest of sound internal controls, right? We evaluate controls and control structures. We should be doing things that are in the best interest of the stakeholders. So let me give an example of what I mean by that. Suppose that the organization is short on staff and they are losing money and they decide that what's in their best interest is to cut corners when it comes to some controls. Well, that's in the best interest of the organization, but that's not necessarily in the best interest of transparency and having good or, uh, good internal control structures. So I think there needs to be a rewording of the language there because I don't think we're looking at and talking about doing things that are in the best interest of the organization. I think it's in the best interest of good, sound internal control structures. Let me know if you agree or disagree with me on that one, but um, I think this is great that we have an open forum and discussion for the standards that will be shaping our profession. Now, the next term, terms that we see mentioned are considerations for evidence of conformance and considerations for implementation. I put these in because I actually like them. I really, really like them. So throughout the proposed amendments to the standards, you're going to see a section for considerations for evidence of conformance. And these are things that we can do to show that we are conforming with the standards. And then you're going to see something else that says considerations for implementation. And those are direct things that you can do in order to comply with the standards. And I like the fact that they are brief and they are uh, uh, objective enough without being an extremely too directive and constraining. So I want to point that out. So when you see those, be sure to take a look because it provides you with the guidance that you need to understand how you can best implement some of these things. Okay. So now Marianne is here. Hey, Marianne from Kuwait. Ruben is here, my man, Ruben. Good to see you. Now, Kimberly, Kimberly says, I love those breakout sections for each standard. Yeah, don't you? I really like it. I there's a lot that I like. I know I'm very critical of a lot of things, but there is a lot that I like. Speaking of being critical, let's, <laughs> let's move on to the next critical thing. Okay, so the next term they have is criteria, and it's defined as measurable specifications of desired state of the activity under review, also called evaluation criteria. Now, this is another example where I believe that we are creating unnecessary confusion. What if I don't want to call it criteria? What if I simply want to refer to it as the desired state? Or what if I want to refer to it as the policy by which we're auditing or the procedure or the compliance law, rule or regulation? So don't get me wrong. I get the point here. The point is that there's some criteria that we're measuring our auditing against whether it be a law, rule, regulation, or an internal policy. 
But I think criteria is just confusing, especially for a global organization with members in multiple countries. I think what we should say is that we should have some criteria by which we're auditing, whether that's best practices, policies, standards, laws, rules, regulations. We don't want to confuse anyone, including ourselves. But again, I think this is probably a segue into the five C's that they use for uh, reporting on issues. Goodness, we got to get through all these terms because the, the, the juicy stuff is actually in the actual standards themselves, right? So another term that we define now is engagement conclusion. And that's the internal auditor's professional judgment about the overall significance of the engagement find engagements findings when viewed together. Now that's my scribbly scratch there on my PDF document where you see it scratched out and then some purple writing. See, I don't believe that this fully encapsulates what we're trying to communicate here. I agree that the engagement conclusions should be a combination of, you know, all of the items disclosed in the engagement. However, the engagement conclusions could also be based on systemic issues and themes that we see from other engagements as well. So as a matter of fact, they actually say that later on. So I think that this wording is a little bit misleading, but I understand where we're going with it. For every audit engagement we have, there has to be a conclusion. But that conclusion is not necessarily based on the results of that specific audit engagement. If it is, then you're an audit department with tonal vision. Because if you can't look at some complementing processes and the past results and then draw some conclusions there for the overall control environment, then you're operating with tonal vision as an auditor and you, you may not need to be in the profession. All right, so let's go back to our comments because we got a lot of people saying some stuff here. Marianne says, good, uh, good shout regarding delineating between what is good for the company and sound internal control. Yeah, I mean, if you missed it, go back to what I just said a few minutes ago about one of the other definitions. Joseph from Ghana. Hey, man, good to see you. Lincoln from Kenya. Wow. Wow. All right. Somebody's saying they completely agree with me on the criteria part. Oh, that was Ali again. Okay. Mr. Ali, thank you very much. Now, Marianne is saying to Kimberly, yes, let's please also take a moment to acknowledge what is good. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. A review has been long overdue and the overhaul has happened. But perhaps as auditors, we focus on what isn't. Okay, Marianne, you lost me there. I don't, I don't know what you mean there. But, but, yeah, I do want to highlight some things that I really, really like because there's, there's a lot to like about the changes. Um, so, okay, the next term we have here is finding, and a finding. <laughs> is defined as in an engagement, the determination that a significant risk exists in the activity under review based on the difference between the evaluation criteria and the condition of the activity. Examples include errors, irregularities, illegal acts, and potential opportunities for improving the efficiency, efficiency and effectiveness. All right, so here's what I'm gonna say. I completely dislike the word finding. I think that it is inflammatory. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand the spirit of what we're trying to communicate here. We want internal auditing departments to clearly define what is wrong. But 
Can you imagine when you go to your client and you say, here are the audit, here are our audit findings. Really? How, how does that, how does that look? If we really want to create good relationships, I think that that's inflammatory language. I really just call them audit results, or sometimes I might call them issues. And I don't even call them audit issues. Here's an issue that we collectively need to work on. We've audited this process and here are some issues. See, that that really builds the spirit of camaraderie because we all are working towards a common goal, the auditors and the management team in organizations. And that is to achieve goals and objectives as effectively and efficiently as possible. Right. All right. So somebody says, oh, Leslie, Leslie says it reminds her of the COSO format. It does a little bit. You haven't looked at it yet, Leslie? You should as soon as you can. Now, Marianne is saying clarify, criticism, observation, audit observation focused. Um, and now Robert is asking, Robert Ashcraft, does gaps work better? Yeah, I think almost anything works better. I think part of my bigger point here, though, is if we're going to define what an issue is, we need to put in here that there's the latitude to call it whatever you want based on your country and your customs at your organization. I personally dislike the word finding. I stopped using it many, many years ago because I believe it's inflammatory. And I think if we put it in our glossary without clarifying that, hey, you may be able to use some other terms, auditors may feel forced to use these terms that uh, don't really fit our need as audit departments. All right. Which brings me to my next one, internal audit function, a professional individual or group responsible for providing an organization with assurance and advisory services. This is just a pet peeve of mine. Most people may not even feel this way, but I really dislike the term internal audit function. I don't I don't mind the term department or anything like that. Here's why I don't like it, though. What I don't like about it is when you talk about other departments in an organization, you have an accounts payable department, you have, you know, an accounts receivable department. Most of them don't say function. Most of them say department. And I don't think we should be different. I think we should be in line with whatever they call departments at our organization. If they call your group a pod, then we should be the internal audit pod. Why? Because we are part of the organization. We complain about being the redheaded stepchildren, yet we do things that further perpetuate us being the redheaded stepchildren in the organization. All right. So now some people are talking about the term finding. Debbie. Hey, Debbie. Debbie says observation. Yeah. Yeah. Mary Ann says, I'm not a fan of finding. I prefer observation. So she agrees with you. Someone else is saying observation as well. Ah, Elizabeth says she tends to favor, what, what are you saying here, Elizabeth? Because you're showing up as LinkedIn user. I tend to favor issue, but also have issues and the criticality level defined so people can review. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, Elizabeth is also saying, I think finding sounds like uh, a regulator. Yeah, it does sound like a regulator reporting you, telling on you, tattletaling, tattle, tattle, tell, you know what I'm trying to say. Ah, uh, all right. So let us move on. Now, 
It also defines outsourcing, but here's where I found it interesting. Contracting with an independent external service provider in internal audit services. Fully outsourcing a function refers to contracting the entire out, uh, internal audit function and partially outsourcing, also called co-sourcing, indicates that only a portion of the services are outsourced. Uh, what I missed was we didn't clearly define co-sourcing because co-sourcing is a thing. So if we have a term for outsourcing, why did we embed co-sourcing under outsourcing? Co-sourcing is a totally different thing altogether. It's partially outsourcing. Here's why I think that's important. Look, I said this a few years ago, what we are calling Uber auditing will become important. Most audit shops will not be maintained by a group of in-house auditors. You're gonna have specializations that occur and you're going to need to bring in certain specialists, some for data analytics, some for digital transformation. Think about this. I actually use artificial intelligence in auditing to deliver audit reports, to deliver risk assessment communications and things like that. Would you really pay somebody to learn all the AI tools that I know how to use? Or would you just call me and say, look, we're going to co-source a part of our communication function to you because you can do it faster, better and cheaper. So I think that needs to be broken out separately. Uh, uh, from a definition standpoint. Now, here's another one. Results of internal audit services. Now, I know what you're thinking. We just saw something a few minutes ago that talked about the results of an individual auditing project. So what are we talking about here? Okay, so let's dig right in. Results of internal audit services. Outcomes such as engagement conclusions, themes, such as effective practices or root causes and conclusions at the level of. Now, if you remember back at that other one, let's see if I can find it here so that we can do a, a, a comparison and contrast. Give me just one moment, my friends, as I cycle through. Where is it? Uh, da, 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 da. Right here, we had engagement conclusions. So that's an individual engagement. Now, remember what I said here. We have to also consider what we're talking about now, results of internal audit services. So really, really all we're talking about here is if you see themes throughout the organization. So what I would say here is what's missing for me is we need to be cross-referencing those two so that we understand engagement results versus overall results based on themes that you see. So if you audit one area and you had a similar issue in three other areas, you need to report on the theme that you see throughout the organization. My only comment here, I think I actually think this is great. So my only comment with here is that we need to cross reference those so that we make sure that we're all on the same page as to the difference yet correlation between those two things. So I don't have any negative feedback here. It's just I think we need to make sure that we underscore the importance of these items because they are extremely, extremely important. All right. Um, okay. Okay. So for now, those are all the comments that I have on the glossary. On the glossary, that's it. Next, we need to move in to the actual uh, uh, domains and principles themselves, the domains and principles themselves. But what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to get me a little sip of water 
so that I can catch my breath. And I'm going to wait for you guys to type in the chat because you've been typing some things into the chat. Now, for those of you who are just joining us, yes, this is different from any other episode. Most of the time, the episodes are over in 30 minutes, and I talk about a good principle with three good takeaway points. But today, we're talking about the exposure draft of the new standards. So the show is going to run a little bit longer and if all practical accounts. We're talking about standards. So it's probably a little dry. It's not as exciting as it normally is for my shows, but here we are. So let me take a sip. Now, while I have your attention, You see that QR code over there, the auditor exchange community, go and join that community. It's a community of auditors who, you know, we share messages, we share questions. I stream shows from in there sometimes. So go to the auditor exchange community and join your peers so that we can form a community where we ask questions and support one another. Now, let's dive right in. Let's talk about purpose. So. under purpose, we have some things listed that we truly, truly, truly need to talk about. All right. So follow me here for just one moment. The purpose of internal auditing is, let's take a look at the purpose statement highlighted in yellow. Internal auditing enhances the organization's success by providing the board and management with objective assurance, and advice. Internal auditing strengthens the organization's value creation, protection, sustainability, governance, risk management, and control processes, decision-making and oversight, reputation and credibility with its, its stakeholders, and the ability to serve public interest. Okay, here's what I take interest with. with. That is the sentence that is in turquoise. Internal auditing strengthens the organization's blah, blah, blah. I think that language is inflammatory because with that, we're saying that we believe that there are weaknesses in the organization to begin with. But also, we're called assurance providers. I don't think we strengthen anything necessarily. We provide people with reasonable assurance that either controls are operating as intended or they are not. So to say that the purpose is to strengthen something, I think, is a mischaracterization of the overall spirit and intent of what we do in our profession. Now, I am keen to know what you all think about that. I'm keen to know what you all think about that. Ooh, somebody said they just joined the Auditor Exchange. Who is that? Oh, Elizabeth, hey, it is community.thatauditguy.com. Or you can go to auditorexchange.com and it'll point you to the same community. Now, Back to what I just said, though, Um, in in this domain, we're saying that internal auditing strengthens an organization's blah, blah, blah. I don't think we necessarily strengthen anything. I think the power in what we do is that we evaluate things and we provide the management team and the stakeholders with reasonable assurance of one of two things. Either A, things are operating as intended or B, they are not. I think by saying we strengthen something puts us in a place of where we are looking down on the organization because we are already assuming that things are bad. I think that this is inflammatory language and I think it does not characterize what we actually do. I welcome your thoughts on that, but that is my thought on the purpose piece 
I welcome your thoughts on that. And that is my thoughts on the purpose piece. <clears throat> now, Laurie is saying adds value to instead of enhances. Yeah, I, I could go with that, too. Um, I, I still think we simply provide assurance. But um, and I think that assurance might add value. Heck, it might detract value from the organization. If we're talking about dollars, I'll give you an example. At one organization, I participated in an investigation, and my goodness, that investigation cost the company $26 million based on what my team found. Oh, now that wasn't our fault, but guess who got the blame? So, I, yeah. But yeah, I got what you were saying, Laurie, instead of strengthen. Yeah, I, I got exactly what you were saying. 100%. I got exactly what you were saying, my friend. <clears throat> The good old voice is cracking today, you guys. Um, I actually just um, just presented at a conference this morning and I'm doing another one this afternoon. So I've been working lately, working pretty hard lately. Okay, now let's go to our next thing. Up under domain two, <clears throat> ethics. It defined what an internal auditor was. Now, I, I'm, I'm missing this because it should have been in the, the glossary as well, but it says internal auditors refers to recipients of or candidates for IIA professional certifications and all IIA members, including those who are members of IIA affiliates and chapters. Now, I think what's missing here is I believe that this language excludes audit professionals who are not members of the IIA. Let me explain. Now, you could assume that the language saying candidates for IIA certifications cover everyone. But to me, until you actually register for an exam, you're not a candidate. So follow me where I'm going with this. If I'm an internal auditing professional who is not a member of the Institute of Internal Auditors and I have not applied for candidacy for one of the certifications, by this definition, does that mean that I am not an internal auditor? I'm doing the work of an auditor. Here's what I mean by that. For example, if you're an engineering firm and you have an internal auditing department and you have an engineer that you've made an internal auditor, but that engineer doesn't want to be a part of the Institute of Internal Auditors, nor do they want to have the CIA designation or any other designation, but yet they perform well as an internal auditor. By this definition, we might be saying that they aren't an internal auditor. And I don't think that that's fair. Okay. Now, let's go to principle number one. So now remember, principle number one is up under domain number two for ethics. Or is it three? I can't remember now. <laughs> Principle number one, demonstrate integrity. Principle number one, demonstrate integrity. So here's what it reads. The chief audit executive must maintain a work environment where internal auditors feel supported when expressing legitimate evidence-based findings, conclusions, and recommendation, whether favorable or unfavorable. Now, the part I want to bring your attention to is the highlighted part in the center where it says the chief audit executive should ensure that internal auditors have opportunities to receive this training. Now, we already have to receive training on ethics, and I think that this is what this is referring to. So now, 
If you work in an audit department, make sure you get your two hours of ethics because that's important. But to see it reiterated in the standards, I think is a very, very good thing. I like that. Just wanted to point it out. Now, let's dig a little deeper, though, into standard 1.2 organizational organizations, ethical expectations. Essentially, what this says is we're required to review our organization's expectations as it relates to ethics. Now, why I think that is important is because if you look evidence of conforming with this standard, a documented assessment of the organization's ethics, policies, and procedures. So what I'm thinking this is telling us is we must do an ethics audit within our organization, an, an ethics audit of the policies, as well as how well those policies are being executed. Now, someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but it says evidence of conformance to the standard on ethical expectations. And a part of that evidence is a documented assessment of the organization's ethics, policies, and processes. I think this is important because I'm not sure how many of us actually do or have looked at the ethics, policies, and procedures within our organization. All right, so now, Kimberly says, I think we walk a line already versus what we do and what management is responsible for. Okay, I can see that. Now, Robert is asking why only IIA? All right, Robert, let me go back. I think, I think it did address other organizations as well. I think I may have moved a little bit too fast here. What are we talking about here? Uh, here we go. So internal auditors refer to recipients of or candidates for IIA professional certifications and all IIA members, including those who are members of IIA affiliates and chapters. Oh, wait a minute. You might be right. Hold on. I think up here it said, let's see, internal auditors are required to conform with the standards of ethics and professionalism. If internal auditors are expected to abide by other codes of conduct, such as their organization's code of ethics, they must adhere to the principles and standards of ethics and professionalism contained therein. Oh, Robert, you bring up a good point then. That's a very good point. Why only IIA? What about ISACA? What about, hmm, that's a very good point. That's a good catch. I don't think I caught that. Very good catch. Okay. Now, Marianne says, interesting. I do believe if we focus on the organization's VMW and imperatives, our observations, processes, enhancements, and recommendations, we create value, protection, or sustainability. Okay. Fair point. Now, Kimberly, you bring up a really good point. Are we the ethics police? That is where I was going with that, because I think we need clarification, because if I'm looking at the expectation, the expectation is telling me that we might be expected to do some sort of ethics review. So very good question. Are we the ethics police? That is my question. That is my question. Are we the 
ethics police. So let's go back to where that was. What I was referring to was right here. Evidence of conformance with the standard that is requiring us to look at the organization's ethical expectations. A documented assessment of the organization's ethics, policies, and processes. So if we're expected to have a documented assessment of the organization's ethics, policies, and processes, to Kimberly's point, are we now the ethics police? And is that the expectation? And at this point, I don't know if that's good or bad. It's more so a question that I have, which is why it's important to have these things open for public review and comment. Now, Robert Ashcroft says, doesn't provide IT, the IA doesn't provide IT specific audit certs. Agreed. But I think as auditors, we all fall up under a shared code of ethics and value structure. And I think more so that is where I was going with that. Okay. So now, now that is standard 1.2 organizations, ethical expectations. And again, back to the point that Kimberly just made is the expectation for us to be the ethics police. I don't know. It's leading me to believe that based on the documentation that I see thus far, but I don't know. And again, this one is neither right nor wrong, good or bad. It's simply a question for clarification. Now, our next thing is standard 1.3, legal and professional behavior. Okay. Under legal and ethical behavior, I saw this one line that said that we are prohibited, prohibited, sorry, from quote unquote, making disparaging comments about the organization, fellow employees, or its stakeholders among coworkers or in a public forum. Now, I believe that this statement is pretty dangerous because what if an internal auditor is a whistleblower and what if in the middle of blowing the whistle on the organization, they say some things that are factually correct that someone views as inflammatory. You see, inflammatory is subjective, and I think that this can be bad for our profession. Let me give you an example. Heck, I'll, be, I'll give you an example. One of my former employers is currently being sued by the United States government. In December of last year, the United States government added to that lawsuit some language saying that based on their preliminary investigation, they believe that the management team at that organization knew about what was happening and covered it up. Now, by me saying that, is that inflammatory? These are statements of fact that you can Google and look up and see the federal court filings. But somebody might say, oh, I think that that was inflammatory and Robert should not have said that. Inflammatory is subjective, and I think we leave ourselves open to trouble by that statement. Don't know if you agree or disagree on that, but that is just simply my opinion. Simply my opinion. And Sono, who I always love to hear from, says that's interesting. I always thought that would be a compliance responsibility with auditors being able to evidence and review when needed to. Now, Sono is referring back to the ethics thing, which goes back to Kimberly's point of, are we now the ethics police? And that is why I say at this point, I don't think it's good or bad, simply a question for clarification. I'm kind of with you on that, Sono, and I'm with you on it, Kimberly, for asking the question. 
But back to the one that we're on now. Standard 1.3, legal and professional behavior. We are prohibited from making disparaging comments about the organization, fellow employees, or its stakeholders amongst coworkers or in a public forum. You know what? Here's the thing. What if there are two internal auditors engaged in some sort of quote unquote locker room talk? Oh, you know, this is a horrible client. They always do things bad. Could that be considered inflammatory now? I don't know about this one. I question this one strongly because I think inflammatory is subjective. So I question this one strongly. All right. How much time do I have? I have 15 minutes before the top of the hour, my friends. And again, this is a longer show. Usually the show is 30 minutes because we like audit bites. This one is a little different because, well, we're simply talking about the proposed standards and I'm giving everyone some food for thought. This is just based on my review of 108 pages in the middle of the night. <laughs> I read it so that you don't have to. No, I'm kidding. I read it so that uh, you will. I'm hoping to encourage others to actually read it. I said earlier, I think the proposed changes are really good in structure in the way that they put them out. So this commentary is in no way to slam the hard work that has been done. It's open for public critique and criticism so that we can all work together to make our profession better. Right. So let's go on to the next one, since I didn't see any comments about uh, the inflammatory one. OK, standard 2.1, individual objectivity. So. Annually, internal auditors should sign an attestation form confirming their awareness of the importance of objectivity, understanding of relevant policies and procedures, and obligation to disclose any potential impairments. I don't know about you guys, but I do this on a project basis and annually, so I don't wait till just annually to do it. I want to know project by project that you are objective and independent and don't have impairments, but, but, but. The highlighted part is what struck me. If you look under evidence of conformance, records of objectivity training planned and completed, including a list of participants. So now while it doesn't say we must do this, I'm wondering, do you expect us to have training on objectivity? We already have ethics training and one could argue that built within many ethics training modules is a component of objectivity, but are we saying that we now want this broken out separately or are we just saying that, hey, if you had some ethics training that talked about objectivity, that's fine. For me, it's just a question of clarification. Either way, I think that this one is good. I think that we should be trained on what it means to be objective, independent, and what impairments really look like. But again, I think most of that is covered in your standard ethics training, I think. I believe. Um, all right. We're almost done here with some of my observations, still not all of them, but these are the ones that I just chose to talk about today. Um, let's see. All right. Standard 9.2, internal audit strategy. The only thing that I want to point out here is many audit departments don't have a strategy. I just did a session. I have a session on internal auditing talent management. It's an eight hour session and I just did it for um, 
the IIA chapter in St. Louis, Missouri. And one part I talk about is having a strategy because how else can you manage your talent if you don't have a strategy of where it is you want to go in your department? And I asked people in the room, how many of you have a strategy? Most everyone said, well, um, maybe, or it's informal. So here what we're saying is for us, we have to develop the vision and strategic objectives of the internal audit strategy. The chief audit executive should start by considering the organization's strategy and objectives and the expectations of senior management and the board. Now, it also says that the vision describes the desired future state, i.e. in the next three to five years, for example. It goes on to say, um, the vision is also designed to inspire and motivate internal auditors and the function to continuously improve. The strategic objectives define actionable targets to attain the vision. It also says the supporting initiatives outline more specific tactics and steps for achieving each strategic objective. Now, I think I read somewhere, I may have forgotten to screen print this, but I think it said somewhere else that your strategic objectives for your audit department should also have due dates. When will you achieve these objectives by? So what that leads me to believe is that now there is a mandate that we have written strategic objectives for our department. No longer can we say, well, eh, here's our objective. We're going to do this. That is my belief on how this is interpreted, or this is how I'm interpreting this. So that is standard 9.2 internal audit strategy. And our last one, uh, standard 14.4, recommendations and action plans. The requirement is that internal auditors must formulate recommendations and, if applicable, obtain management action plans. Now, here's what I'm going to say about this one. This one I wholeheartedly disagree with. I think that when you have recommendations as a requirement, you work towards ruining a relationship. What's more important are the management action plans, which, if done right, will have your recommendations embedded within them. Here's what I mean. When you see a report where you have, here's your finding. Now, here's your recommendation. Here's what it says. We auditors have come in and reviewed your operations and we have recommendations for you. Now, what I typically do is sometimes I have issues and sometimes I have recommendations, but I began experimenting long ago reports without recommendations because here's what I would have. The issue. And then we'd have here's management action plan. So I would have issue and impact. Here's management action plan, because along the way we will have had conversations and management will have developed their own action plan, which would be better than any recommendation that we could make because they know the area better than us. It doesn't make us look like the know-it-all, and it helps build better relationships. Let me give you an example. When I was young, I played sports. Football was one of my favorite sports. Every Friday, we would have a football game or Saturday. And then on Mondays, we would come in and have to watch the film footage. And it was miraculous the way the coaches would get us to do things. So I'll give you a really good example. So I played the position called tailback, partially because I was fast. What you could do is you could run directly up the middle where all the guys are and run the risk of getting hit by some of the big guys. As you can see, I'm not a big guy, but I'm fast. 
or you could run around the outside where you could utilize your speed. One game, the coach called a play where he wanted me to go directly up the middle. All the big guys. I decided I wanted to go around the side. Now, I scored a touchdown, don't get me wrong, but it was hard because it was not the play that he had called, which meant that I wasn't on the same plan with the rest of the team. So we sat down Monday morning. We were watching the film footage, and here's what he said. He said, Barry, tell me what happened in this next play. And he played it. And what I saw was that the team had been working together, and they created this huge hole that you could have driven a car through. That's where I was supposed to run. I didn't run there. I ran someplace else. Now, granted, I still scored a touchdown, but I was supposed to run in that direction. So he said, what happened here? And I said, I didn't I didn't I didn't follow your instructions. I didn't I didn't do what you told us to to do. Now, he could have come in and said, Barry, I told you to do this and you didn't do it. My point here is the best way to get somebody to buy into something is when they discover it and when they work actively on the solution themselves. I don't like mandating us having recommendations. Many audit shops are experimenting with doing audits without recommendations because we're working with management on the management action plans. But yet this is what we have in the standards. And I think it's something that we must think about. I think it's something that we must consider. I think it's something that is of the utmost importance. Okay, so here's what I will say. We have new standards for our profession. Every auditor that deems to be, that deems himself to be a good auditor should go out and read them because you should know what's going on. They are structured under five domains, 15 principles, and a glossary. For a document that's been years in the making, There's a lot of hard work that has gone into this, and I like the direction within which it is going. Things look really, really good in here. I know I just spent almost an hour critiquing it, but doggone it, we're working in a good direction. So don't think that I'm sitting here criticizing it in a very harmful way. This is meant to be constructive criticism. So what I'd like for you to do Send this episode to your friends so that they can listen to it. We have a YouTube channel. Send it to them on the YouTube channel would be even better because if you do that, then uh, uh, they can rewind and all that good stuff. Sometimes it's hard to find on uh, LinkedIn. Anyway, this was a longer than normal version of Audit Bites, and it wasn't the typical, hey, Robert is talking about a touchy audit topic, which is what I like to do, and giving you my my take on it based on my years of experience it's a different one it's longer but hopefully you got some value from it if you did let me know if you think i should never do one of these again let me let me know that too because all feedback is good feedback depending on how you take it over here to your right there's something called the fraud retreat it's happening in august of this year go to fraudretreat.com for the best training in fraud that you can get. My friend Joe Irvin is putting it on. And also don't forget to join the Auditor Exchange community. With that said, thank you for your time and your attention. We'll see you next episode. Thank you for watching this episode of Audit Bites. If you receive value from this podcast, do us a favor. First, tell other auditors. Second, give us a five-star review. And finally, talk to Robert about training your auditors.
Our contact information is on our website, www.thatauditguy.com. It's also where you will find our course catalog, on-demand courses, a kick-butt blog, other podcasts, Robert's best-selling books, and last but not least, audit merch. That's right, we have audit hats, shirts, mugs and more. Thanks for watching and listening. See you next episode.